What's up, everybody? Welcome back to World on Drugs. I'm your host, Steve Fury. What's poppin', everybody? Uh, we got a great episode today, man. Very excited to just be still doing this. I'm back on the road. That feels pretty good. I was just in Phoenix all weekend at the stand-up live there. It was a banger. Some of the best shows I've ever had, you know, and feels good just to be back on the road. Doing stand-up uh, again just feels right, you know, losing all the rust by the third or fourth show was really great so all the new fans i made that want to check out this podcast thank you guys for being amazing this weekend it uh to say it was a blessing would uh wouldn't do it justice it was great i got a new bit that i'm very excited got a little story action and i'm also very excited about this episode uh we go into vincent the chin gigante also known as the odd father uh he's been done a few times i think there's even a netflix series on him but we do it a little different do it a little funnier he was named the odd father because he pretty much pretended to be insane went to over 30 different psychiatrists went to over i think it was like 50 different times to the hospital and tricked them all into thinking he was crazy he had fat tony salerno one of the old guys one of our other podcasts he had him as the fake front of the genovese mob family which really was the biggest mob family in the country and he would kind of sit in the corner acting all slow and shit and really ran everything and it was great and even better than that we got my buddy mo man dell uh he's a great comedian we were both in uh phoenix this whole weekend uh, the clubs are open here. No one's wearing masks. Everyone's sold out. We're having a great time. Mo was at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, another great club in uh, Scottsdale, I believe. Um, so if you want to know about more about Mo, Mo, if you don't know who he is, along with making recent appearances on CBS's hit show Two Broke Girls and Comedy Central's new sitcom Corporate, Mo was the head writer for Theo Vaughn's pilot Man Up on Comedy Central and the series that he created and executively produced Comedy Knockout shot and aired nearly 100 episodes for True TV. That's pretty fucking dope. But he's probably best known for making over 40 appearances on Chelsea Lately and hosting True TV's Barmageddon. Mo had also made numerous appearances on Conan, The Late Late Show. He has a half-hour special on Comedy Central. And he has been a guest on pretty much any podcast you can really think of. Adam Carolla, Fighter on the Kid, Your Mom's House, Bird's Cast, Juicy Scoop. In the past, Mandel has acted on such hit shows as Modern Family, Castle, Happy Endings. And he's one of the leads in NBC's comedy Free Agents featuring Hank Azaria. I remember watching that bad boy. Most recently, Mo created, hosted, and executively produced a special for the Discovery Channel called Small Town Throwdown, which also saw him writing columns for USA Today. That was a great show. Um, he just pretty much, everyone's always shitting on small towns. And Mo ran around the country with a camera crew that he paid for. Luckily, he sold the show, so he got his money back. But he went to investigate these small towns and show that these people aren't full, full of fucking morons and idiots. They're just normal people living a normal life, trying to have a good life. And they turn out to be pretty cool. Mo, I met at the Comedy Store. He's another paid regular. Uh, we were never really, you know, there's a little bit of an age gap, more of a class gap as in, like, years that we started. Um, but I was parking cars at the Comedy Store a couple years ago to start talking to Mo. He came up in Northern California, so we clicked it there. We are both doing spots at the Comedy Store. We became friends, and it was really just a blessing to have him on the podcast. You know, it's, it's good to... It's a little weird when you're older and you make new friends, but fuck it, man. Felt good to make him. Um, it was, we had a great time this weekend, even though we did different shows in Phoenix. It's just kind of blowing our minds. Like, I was working with a guy named Mike Vieira. Uh, sadly, Dusty Slay, who I was supposed to feature for, wasn't there. But these shows were sold the fuck out, man. I'm talking like big improv sold out, like 400 people a set. No one, not many people. You, people wore masks if you had to. You didn't have to. But um, it was wild. 
Was it irresponsible? Maybe. I'm vaccinated. I don't know. I'm going to keep just trying to live my life, man. I've, I think I did enough. I think I stayed inside my apartment for long enough, but then I got vaccinated. Now I'm doing stuff. Plus, Papa's got to eat. Papa's got to make some money. Um, it was a really a great weekend. So once again, thank you for everybody for that. I got to see my buddy Alex. It was his birthday. We partied. Got to hang out with Jordan. I did get too wasted Saturday night that I couldn't podcast with Mo on Sunday. So we moved it to Monday. That's why the podcast was a little bit late. But I mean, dude, chill out, man. This shit's free. Also, some of the gimmicks aren't going to be good gimmicks, but some of the things won't be on this episode, uh, like the beginning music. And that's mainly because I'm on the road, dude. And I can't take like a bunch of like hard drives and stuff where all this stuff is on it. And I don't want to mess up my computer. So just roll with what it is. I think we're doing fine. This is a great episode. You're going to fucking love it, dude. This is a good one. Enjoy it, guys. See you on the other side, baby. All right, Mo, good to see you, man. I just gave you a hell of an introduction on the intro right there. So oh, I got, proud I'll just have that. to trust you on that. <laughs> I went deep into the archives. Of, I went, I read your bio. I was going to do it on this one, but it's always a little weird when you read, like, your friend's bio to their face. Yeah. I don't know. It feels kind of gross. What was the part that was the most exciting about it? Which credit just really leapt out at you? I mean, there were kind of a lot. You got a shit ton more. Mine, my, my bio is way more pathetic where it's like I opened for all these people, but I mean, the amount of credits you have well, is astonishing to not be more famous. Well, I'm at that stage of my career now where a lot of the credits are shows that have been canceled. Yeah, that's true. And I'm just like, yeah, you definitely had on? like a six-year peak where you fucking <laughs> were destroying the world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're still one of the funniest guys I've ever met, one of the best hangs. We just were in uh, Arizona together, right? Different clubs. You were Yeah, and apparently we were just doing very different stuff because I was going to my shows, drinking water, eating a salad, and then we were supposed to do your podcast. You're like, gonna have to, <laughs> gonna have to move it, bro. Just came off a two-day coke binge. Well, there was no cocaine involved or that I <laughs> remember, but it was definitely right, a, uh, right. a hardcore drinking session. And then I had like a buddy of mine come in town for his birthday, and then we went next door to a lot of these improvs are like attached to like some like restaurant thing you know and this restaurant's right. called copper blues and it's fucking they have like a live band and then we just and then you don't have to buy drinks there and then you're famous from the show earlier so people are just buying you drinks oh, dude, it's and then the you best. just, just lose your mind and then all sunday i was just uh doa fucking a man being on the road is just now that i'm married and sober it's just like it really just feels like you're going to work oh you're sober yeah i've been sober for like six years was it so bad it, what yeah yeah it was bad as he's fucking hammering some beer at four in the afternoon. It was uh, five almost. I guess it's five in Phoenix. You're right. <laughs> it is. Uh, it was a lot of passing out, a lot of blacking out for me. Yeah, luckily up. the blacking out isn't a problem, but it's just more of the I mean, before COVID, it was I was getting drunk probably like five, six nights a week, like like passing out. Yeah, like passing out. Not, not blacking out, but I never really went to sleep very often. I would just kind of like pass out at like four in the morning. And then, honestly, uh, COVID sobered me, helped sober me up because I was on a wow. not dark, but I was just on. It was a fun path. But, That's but amazing just, to me. I would have because I was thinking, dude, I wish I was still drinking. COVID would have been way more fun. Yeah, I did in the beginning a little bit, but like, like in the beginning, I would just I would I was drinking like a half a bottle of Jameson a night and listening to this guy called D Nice. He was uh, he would do these Instagram shows for like seven yeah. eight hours, and. Uh, It'd be fun because, you know, it'd be like Michelle Obama's in there and she's typing. And I'm like, I'm fucking drinking with goddamn Michelle Obama. <laughs> and then like and then like day 12, I was just like just haggard. And I was like, I got to get better. And then 
Then I got better, and now I'm dipping my back, my toe back into stand-up, and it's uh, hitting me hard, but it's fun. God it's damn, fun, I missed dude. it. I know. I, I, like, I was so happy to be on stage this weekend. I was like, God damn, I missed this. Actually, yeah. makes you, reminds you you're good at something, you know, and like there's like a purpose that you have. Yeah, because also we, I like, we weren't doing it for so long where I was kind of like, is this, because, you know, when you're doing it all the time, it really is all you think about. Most yeah. time of the day, anytime you do something, and then when I'm not doing it, where we're not doing it for a year, you're kind of just like, it's not, I don't know. It, it, it fucks just, with your identity a little bit. You're like, yeah, am, I, yeah, it was the only, <laughs> am I a comedian or am I just like kind of an asshole? What, what yeah, a loser. <laughs> I'm just a guy whose only skill can't even be used anymore. Right. All right, Mo. I, uh, so the guy we got today is pretty fun. We're going to tell you about him. His name is Vincent the Chin Gigante, a.k.a. the Oddfather, a.k.a. the Enigma in the Bathrobe, a.k.a. the Real Boss of New York, a.k.a. Kappa, the Tutti Kappa, the Boss of All Bosses. This man, just a little quick one. Uh, we're going to go. So the way this podcast goes, I give you a little bit of like superfluous information in the beginning to help you learn later. And then we'll just pretty much go by year from when he's about 14 to when he dies in 2002. OK, I've so, always oh. wanted to know about this guy because I know he's. Yeah, I know the little the, the highlights. Yeah. So he's he's a little more popular than we've done so far. Probably like the most popular, like the guy, most mainstream guy. But um one of the researchers I work with, Joe Hoffswell, Dr. Joe Hoffswell at the University of Kentucky, uh, Western Kentucky, uh, just really wanted to do this guy. So then I was like, yeah, let's go. And he's pretty good, man. He's definitely, he's definitely a guy who started some shit, kind of started this idea of being a fake, insane person, and then no one else ever really jumped on it. But, like, it was pretty cool. So we're just going to go into it. Born on March 29th in 1928, New York, New York, to an immigrant family from Naples, Italy. He was named after his brother who died at 18 months because a boiling pot of hot spaghetti water burned his toddler body alive. Fuck. Jesus Christ. Really? Yeah, we're starting hot today. Some would say boiling spaghetti water oh hot. Oh, my God. That is the most fucking dark origin story of a supervillain I've ever heard. Yeah, imagine getting named after that guy. So now every time <laughs> someone says my name, I got to think of my boiled alive little brother. Yeah, I, of- I do not like the idea of being named after a dead infant. You know what I mean? Like, name me after someone who died doing something heroic, not just crawling around near some bolognese. Oh, man. And how do you what, How do you even dump a big bottle of fuck you? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, he was the head of the Genovese crime family from 1981 till his death in 2005. And the name Chin uh, emerged from his mom, who called him Chinvenzo, which... Uh, I kind of looked that up. I don't really know what it meant. I tried to find a bunch of things. I think it was just kind of a nickname. He was a professional light heavyweight boxer from 1944 to 1947. Around nine, he was around 17 to 19 years old. He had a record of 21 and 4 with 13 knockouts. See, that's back in the days when uh, Jews and Italians were good at boxing. Yeah, yeah. It was like every sport you can follow when black people got into it and when yeah. white people stopped being good at it. Right. Yeah, that, like, I think in the 20s and 30s, there were a lot of good Jewish boxers, and then maybe they economically matured out of doing that, and then that Italians kind of got into it, and then, yeah, but then once they opened it up, it was like, oh, all right, why don't you guys just be managers? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just take off money and stop getting beaten in the face by you guys. He was married in 1950 to Olympia Grippa, who had five kids, Andrew, Salvatore, Yolanda, Rosetta, and Rita, and they, they lived in Old Tapan, New Jersey. It's just kind of right outside of New York. Uh, they used to live in Greenwich Village with him, but he moved him out. When this woman came into his life, 
his second family at the same time. Her name was Olympia Esposito in the Upper East Side townhouse. She had Vincent, Lucia, and Carmelo. I would Wait, say he had two w- wives of the same name? Yeah, That's same time, too. insanely too difficult. Oh, too difficult? I think it's perfect. Because oh, you just go like, Olympia. You're, yeah, you're right. I guess you call it the wrong name during sex. It's actually the right name. <laughs> yeah, or you're just irritated. You're like, fucking Kristen. I mean, Jennifer. And they're like, who's Kristen? And you're like, no, it's just Olympia. I'm such I'm such a fucking idiot. I was just thinking, yeah, that's right. I mean, if he actually texted the wrong name, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, it's like 1952. That's a great point. A lot of the shit that he kind of does in here, a yeah. lot of the stuff that I, you, I learn about these old guys, it's like, oh, this shit would be so different now that it just couldn't even work. God, Which is, I mean, two families is so insane to me. Why, it doesn't I mean, even seem fun. It seems horrible. Like you want the one you can Netflix and chill with, and then you want just the the road sex, or just like you know, if he's in a yeah. different borough in New York, you get laid. But like, why do you want the fucking the, headache of the two family? family? Exactly, it's like the side booty. That's cool, but you just want two. That's just du- there's no fun then because the side no. booty is the fun thing. But now you're just doubling up on rules, regulations, and one of them's already always arguing about the other one. Yeah, it's not worth <sighs> well, it. But, I mean, he went crazy. I mean, he said he went crazy, and that could have been one of the reasons. By the 1980s, the Genovese family was thought to make about $100 million a year, which he was the head of. He had a weakness for gambling and would bet anyone for anything. And once he became the boss, he would um, just cheat, just, and everyone would just let him win. Like, one of his <laughs> biggest ones was on the first hand of a game of gin. He just yelled gin, and no one argued with him, and he won, like, six grand. I mean, what's the point of doing that? Why's that fun? Yeah, how's that fun? You're just like, so he's just playing, he's like, Uno! They're like, you have 12 cards. They're like, I will fucking kill you. They're like, all right, fine, you won. Jesus. He's at every party. He's like, hey, you guys want to yeah. play cards? No. You sure? Not really, you know? <laughs> he's like, he's playing Jenga, just knocks it over. I won again! They're like, uh, He just keeps right. kicking the table when you're going. He had a base called the Triangle Social Club. This is in New York. Uh, the front of the building was completely bought, blocked out, and was inaccessible to outsiders. But once you went inside, there was three signs. It was kind of like a, kind of like it's like a empty room, but there were three signs. The signs said, "Loose lips sink ships." The enemy is always listening. Tough guys don't squeal. Oh, and there's one more. Don't talk. This place is bugged. These were all the signs in the social club. Yeah, like like when you go to like like a child or like a kindergarten teacher's room and it says like hang on and it's like a cat or like a yeah. monkey just hang on there or did, he just had that all in this blank room so that no one would talk into it. That's smart, man. I was watching that uh, Fear City doc on uh, Netflix yeah. all about he, like you know how they took mm-hmm. down the, the model or whatever. Mm-hmm. And these fucking guys were not smart about this shit. Like, there'd be a guy who came over, like, I got to fix your phone. And the guy's like, all right. And then they're like, and then we had a bug in his phone for the next five years. <laughs> like, they just didn't. I guess it was, like, too soon for them to know that people could bug you or some yeah. shit. But it was just, it was amazing the amount of fucking wire. It did seem like in the past, get. if someone came to your door, you would just let them into your house. Right, like, right, It's right. like, oh, the phone repair guy's here. Come on in. <laughs> Has that ever happened to anybody? <laughs> so there's like a guy coming. He said, I'm here to fix your phone. I'm like getting a gun. Yeah, by like, all get means, the fuck off my come way. on in. <laughs> You've got a jumpsuit on. Um, <laughs> the first time the Triangle Social Club was wiretapped was in 1966, and the feds found nothing during that time. The chin was wise to the wiretaps, and he would do a monthly bug sweep. Okay, Mo, first question of the thing. Yeah. What would you make your hideout? What's you, You're a mobster. Where is your hideout? Um, and what would be the worst thing the feds found out about you? That's something embarrassing. 
Well, it's a tricky one with the hideout, right? Because it's it's not really a hideout. It's like you, you hang out there. Like you really got to be there all the time. So it's like I guess I would want like things to do. I mean, you'd want like a pool table. So, you know, like maybe one of those like video game arcades. You know, for yeah, adults. like a Dave and Busters. That yeah, would yeah, be like a Dave good and one. Busters. Yeah, and then you could play skee ball while you're planning hits and shit. And there's a lot um, of noise, so it'd be hard yeah. for them to record you. And you could just be like, meet me in the fucking Tekken Four. Yeah, they're module. trying to listen in, and then you hear like the tickets coming out, like. <laughs> Like, Destroy oh, him. Get a teddy bear. <laughs> uh, uh, and what, then what would they discover? I don't know. No, nothing interesting at all. They, nothing like interesting. Me okay. eating my wife's candy that I know where she hides in the apartment. Oh, she hides candy. That's something we need. Yeah, to talk. she hides candy. What's her best candy? What is her? What's her go to candy? She gets those fucking little yogurt covered peanuts. Those chocolate. Those are white okay. Chocolate. Or like gummy bears. But yeah, it's like I, like I am such an alcoholic and addict. I have no self control. So if she has candy in the house, I'll just fucking eat it. And so I'm like, I tell her to fucking hide it because I literally have no control over it. And then as soon as she's asleep, I'm like, where the fuck is that candy? <laughs> I start scouring the house. It's, like a, comes it's home. like a a really pathetic Easter hunt that goes yeah. on every night in our apartment. <laughs> she just comes home. You're chopping up yogurt pretzels and railing them. <laughs> oh, where the fuck are they? <laughs> so he would c- kill or harm anyone who invoked his name once he became a boss like he literally was like you cannot say my name he would usually allow a person like one time to fuck up but only if they were like a big wig and to uh, someone who wasn't a big wig and was in a different family the lucchese family uh he had him beaten almost to death by three genovese enforcers because he said the chin in one of his business deals so what were you supposed to call him? You weren't even supposed to. See, that's the thing. The guy was just supposed to be like a ghost. And the more stuff we're going to hear about him, he wants to be he wants to be a ghost because he pretends he is uh, severely mentally disabled for about 30 years. Yeah, that, would so, be, that would be tough. That would be hard to hang out with that guy. Yeah, right? Because it's also like you can't ever say his name, but also I can never say Chin again. Like it's like that's a little much, you know, just to take over. I mean, that's not that popular of a name, though. Chin, I guess. You don't really bring that up too much. I don't know. I feel like in those mom communities, there's got to be at least 10 guys named, like, Chin yeah. or fucking... Chin, Bananas. Johnny Mustache. They're yeah. always fucking something like that. They're always <laughs> nicknames, too, where it's like... I feel like Italian guys that I've met, too, like, pick the thing that you hate about yourself the most and make that your nickname. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like Steve Insecure Fury. It's like, come on, man, just fucking... Hey, Mo Mandel, no draw on Fridays and Saturdays. <laughs> doing stand-up, Mandel. Like, come old, on. Old 30 audience Sunday, Mandel. <laughs> Mo, Groupon tickets only, Mandel in the house. <laughs> what? <laughs> so some other key notes. Uh, so he started to admit himself to mental hospitals, and he would have been, he would have done that about 30 times in his whole lifetime. So he would go over and again into a bunch of psychiatrists. And this is the kind of thing that always keeps me when I'm hearing about this is like, Everyone's like, he's fake. But it's like the psychiatrists are all in on They're the scam in, yeah. or dumb. Well, I mean, probably they just, like, know that they'll get murdered if they don't give the right That's diagnosis, true. right? That's true. You definitely know where a psychiatrist is going to be, you know, weekly because they have a fucking schedule. <laughs> like, my but it, on the when you hear door. stuff like this, though, this guy, the chin, if we're still allowed to, not, I don't know if we could say his name or not. <laughs> And it's like the Beetlejuice now. He comes out and fucking kills you. <laughs> but how much did this guy just not want to get a regular job? <laughs> like, how could it be worth it to fucking pretend to be a crazy person your whole life? That's just just that's have one money. Of the, that's one of the biggest things in being a criminal. It's like, and OK, in the beginning, like you're selling weed or you're selling drugs. It's easier than getting a job. But at some point when you're admitting yourself to mental hospitals 
uh, over 30 times. Um, you're tricking. You've got to make sure no one says your name. It's like, I feel like I would have just been like, I'll be the actual garbage man rather than faking it. Yeah, I was just reading about something today where a big mafia guy got arrested uh, coming into Palermo. He was trying to come home from – he was hiding out in Brazil. And he was trying to come home for the holidays, and he had been gone for, like, two years. And, he was trying to, and it's like, dude, like, what's the point of doing that? If, like, you have to be away from your whole family and just to try to come back, what, what are you just, like, sitting in a little bunker like, oh, I'm so successful. <laughs> it's like, well, all right, but your life sucks, You can't even dude. put your money in a bank. Yeah, so then yeah. you're also, like, always about to get robbed. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, no. Uh, That's why I stopped. I, I, I used to sell drugs for quite a long time, and then it just kind of got... Well, then I got better at stand-up than I was at selling drugs, and I was like, I don't want it, one to ruin the other one. So if and we start seeing your career go down, we're like, oh, we know what's doing. I'd be picking up. Yeah, my be- <laughs> if, you see me, if you see me doing a lot less spots but wearing a lot more gold jewelry, <laughs> you'll know what's happening. So he consistently tricked psychiatrists who was dug- diagnosed officially with schizophrenia, schizophrenia 34 times. He once knew the FBI was going to come and get him, so he would. <laughs> he uh, went naked in the shower, put on the uh, water, and stood in there with an umbrella. So just yeah, that'll to prove do it. it was crazy. That'll do it. He regularly did not shave or comb his hair. Uh, the FBI agents would call him crazy like a fox, and he avoided the draft of both World War II and Korea due to an antisocial behavior and a record. So I don't know if he really did. He was a criminal. They don't really hire. Criminals. It's, like, it's always that weird question, though. It's like, if you are pretending to be crazy, are you crazy? Like, do you have to be crazy just to fucking think this is like a worthwhile way to live your life? I mean, it's a strange kind of thing. You know? Just like at least a sociopath. Like, I don't know if it's like, but it's definitely something wrong. So <laughs> pretty much <clears throat> the Sopranos is a lot kind of loosely based on him, whereas multiple characters are more him. Like if you, you've watched this, you've, I, like, I always think of Junior Soprano as being like the chin. Because yeah, he's a guy who was like super fuck, like a straight up old man who was still heavily in the mix. It's a, it's kind of a com- combination between Junior and Tony Soprano because he was going to the psychiatrist and all that kind of stuff for actual problems. But other mu- he's pretty much Junior. Okay, so we're just going to go bang straight out. Starting with the timeline. 1942, he's first ar- arrested at age 14. Uh, we don't know what he did, but you can see that he's arrested because it's childhood... Uh, juvenile records they don't release those uh at 16 1943 he's running his own floating craps games already all around his neighborhood and he starts getting the attention of mafia guys because he goes into the genovese family and just starts giving them money so he's kicking up uh he's kicking up is like paying a tax if you go to sell drugs or do anything in a known gang member's neighborhood you have to give them some of their money so they don't beat you or kill you right and they're not even Oh, okay. So he had to do that, or he was just doing that to like voluntarily kind of get in with the guys. It's had to, but no one knew yet. But he's yeah. voluntarily doing it to get right, in right. with the guys early. He sees, he sees the, he sees where this is gonna go. Right, By 1944, right, right. he is 17, and he begins winning, working with the Genovese family now. So it's about a year later from that, and he's immediately, excuse me, uh, the protege of the head guy Vito Genovese. So he's moving up quick, making the smart shit in the beginning. Um, by July of 44, he has his first pro boxing fight. He's 17, six feet, 175. That's big a bat. tall Italian. That's a, that's big a good Italian. guy. Yeah. That's a guy that says athletic and he can do a lot of things. Um, in 1945, it's the first of his seven arrests before, tw- before turning 25. Um, most of this stuff is cause he's fencing stolen goods. 
Um, during this time, he's re- he's known in the neighborhood as just like beating the shit out of anybody. He's like kind of like a really. <laughs> Isn't it weird that he's a boxer and his nickname, the Chin, had nothing to do with boxing? That's a great point. Like, how the fuck's that possible? What was his box? Did he have a boxing nickname? I don't know. I th- they say pro, but you know, like when they do boxing, you don't know what the fuck is pro and what's not pro, or like. But he had a decent yeah. amount of fights. I mean, the Chin. I mean, they said it came from his mom, but it feels like it might come from that too. The boxing definitely makes sense. Also, like the back in the, it used to be so much based in your neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like whereas now, I feel like growing up, you're you don't really care about your neighborhood that much, probably because you have cars, you don't have to draw, you don't have to walk around. But just like having this giant guy, well, not giant, big. Well, you know, for the forties, that was probably pretty big. Six. That's foot, pretty big. Yeah, I love in these neighborhoods too. Like you, see, where like that. You always hear the story like he caught the attention of like these fucking scumbaggy guys who were had like scouts. Like, oh, <laughs> that guy seems like a sociopath. <laughs> Let's get that fucking animal in here. You know what I mean? Probably. That, yeah, that is a good point. That would be kind of the fun job. That would be like the one job I would want where like you didn't have to do much, but you can just see talent. I think I can see talent pretty well. But it's like it's such a funny kind of talent. Like that guy seems like a criminal. <laughs> Let's like get him. That guy's stealing from his neighbors. We, let's get that guy in our organization. And then they're all mad when the guy turns on them. It's like, <laughs> right. They're like, what? <laughs> Who just saw this coming? Gonna... Right, 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 right. Uh, why is this shit? I don't want this to keep making fucking noise. All right. So he's so what's pretty cool is the reason he gets so good at boxing is he's training at the boxing gym called Stillman's, which was uh-huh. the home the home to Jack Dempsey and Rocky Marciano. Oh, so shit. he's seeing these guys. He's seeing them fight. He's getting good. He doesn't know if he wants to be a criminal yet or a boxer until May 17th, 1947. He has his last boxing fight that leads him to needing nose surgery. And I mean, no surgery in 1947. Yeah, that's not cosmetic. No, that shit. I mean, how do they even do it? Probably just like put like a shoehorn in your face and just <laughs> the doctor's like, all right, here it goes. Just, <laughs> just does like they do in those movies where they sort of somehow breaks it into place. And when you, you love see that them- in, in movies, they can no matter what happens, they can always snap it or break your arm back into place, you know, and then you're like, ah. All right, I'm good. Yeah, it's like, how many times are you practicing the breaking thing till you can get it on just the first pop? <laughs> like, he wanted, yeah, sometimes I want to see that in the movie where the guy goes, all right, all right, hold on, hold still. And then his nose starts gushing blood. He's like, what did you do? He's like, I don't know. I saw it in the movie. I don't know. Um, in 1947, he's arrested for grand larceny and auto arson. He pleads down to malicious mischief and just has probation. Grand larceny is just, uh, like personal theft and auto arson is a car fire. So pretty much he stole a guy's car he didn't like, set that bad boy in fire, and didn't really get yeah. in trouble it. Sometimes, First time you know. behind bars, he's uh, for distributing things called betting cards to college students and elementary kids. And essentially what this is is uh, it's kind of like, I mean, before cell phones are an app to bet on stuff, you'd have to go and get this ticket. But what these things are is he gives you 15 different cards of matchups like sporting matchups between a bunch of different things. You choose which ones you think you win, and if you guess if you guess four right, you get ten bucks. And if you happen to get fifteen out of fifteen, you get five hundred, which in nineteen fifty was probably five six thousand dollars. There was a lot of that going on, just like kind of privately run lotteries. Yeah, the privately run lotteries are the craziest one because it's just like one if like let's say I won the money from the mob, how do I get it back? Like I can't be like. What if they're just like, no, I know I was thinking about that, too. I mean, I guess they have to give it to you or else it ruins the. 
What, their <laughs> fucking like reputation the, of the mob? <laughs> no, not the reputation, but then no one's going to buy it the next time. Yeah. Because they're like, ah, oh, we know you guys keep it. But yeah, it is kind of crazy. Like, when people come up to you, like, like, how do they know you even have any money to begin with? Like, it's just a fucking, and like, without the internet, like, someone, I feel like someone could just be traveling around the country, like, running this, this fucking lottery scam. For sure. And then also, like, well, I mean, I think a lot of times when they, when people bet with the mob, the mob hopes almost that they don't have money, so then that they can get them under their thumb. All right, so he gets arrested again in 1952 for having two blackjacks on him. And that's kind of that thing that you see uh, in all old-time movies where, like, a guy just gets hit in the head with, like, a thing and he just gets knocked out. Yeah. It looks like a very dominatrix kind of thing when you're looking at it. It's like woven leather with a strap. Yeah, dude, I was watching a movie last night, and the guy had one of those. And, I, and yeah, exactly. He just fucking knocked some guy out with it right away. And, like, it's, again, in movies, like, they just know... You'll not. You're just gonna get knocked out. You're not gonna die or anything. You're just perfect. You're just, yeah. Like what you if just you go to sleep like for like off, ten minutes? <laughs> or if you bought, brought like bought like the off-brand blackjack and the guy doesn't get knocked out? Yeah. Must be a must be a vicious one. Also, it's funny that he got arrested for like having a blackjack when in Arizona where we just were. You know they have open carry now that you can conceal. It's completely insane. You walk around Arizona, you guys, guys just playing fucking Clint Eastwood in front of a Starbucks. Dude, you know they just passed a law. I don't know why anyone would pass this law that said you're now allowed to open carry in a bar. Jesus Christ. I love it. People there have no problem with people carrying around fucking guns, but the fact that they have to wear a mask is somehow just like too much. It's so weird. I mean, just the, I don't know, the bar. It's like, okay, you're a First Amendment guy, whatever. you. I mean, I don't know why you got to carry it around with you. It's so weird, but fine. But like carrying it in a bar, who hears carrying a gun in a bar and thinks, how can enough people vote for that? I mean, in, just, just to give some context, in California, you can't even have the panties come off in a strip club if they're serving alcohol <laughs> because they know people fucking make stupid decisions when they're drunk. Arizona, you can carry out a Glock when you're drinking. That's so good. This guy just puts a bazooka down on the table, but they're like, "You better not have a drink and look at her pussy." Right. All right. Here's my here's my here's my question. Yeah. So you got to carry around a weapon to uh, kind of like uh, you know protect yourself. Nothing too crazy, and you got to think uh -huh. you got to carry it all the time. What kind of weapon are you gonna carry? For me, uh I've always always wanted a cane that turns into a sword. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's yeah. A classic I mean, one. like just. Just uh, or one of those things where like, you know, in Taxi Driver where he had like that the gun shot out of his sleeve. Yeah, that's pretty good. That would be pretty sweet. So I feel like, like that, where yeah. do you get that gun out of a sleeve thing? Like, is it like four other things like a quick like it's like quick pencil user. But everyone knows you're supposed to use it. <laughs> well, for a gun. He had to make it. Remember oh. that in Taxi Driver who's making it? Yeah. But I bet you could find it. I bet you could drive out into like San Bernardino, San Bernardino or fucking 29 Palms. You could find some. Probably here. I'm guessing probably Arizona you could find that. Yeah, there. Arizona, yeah, they actually sell it down at CVS. <laughs> Save it, sell it at the bars. Just yeah. like you get condoms in the bathroom, they get like automatic gun. Dude, you employers. know which one I wish I could carry around, but I just don't trust myself? Was remember in like Above the Rim where Tupac had like the razor blade that he always had under his tongue that he would carry around? But there's no way I don't swallow that on, like, the first go. Or have you seen Peaky Blinders? Yeah, they have the thing in their hat. In their yeah. hat. That one's like, I would just feel like I was just like, and then you just get that open razor cut, and that shit is not, yeah. it's not a healer. That one's. No, that's tough. Oh, I, get, I get cut just from paper sometimes. Dude, I used to have this. I used to carry this. Uh, it was like a switchblade, and it would go in my pocket, and it would open a little bit, and so I'd put my hand in to get it, and it would just, and I would never throw it away. I just kept it. It's like, buy another $40 knife, you fucking idiot. 
tearing up my hands like goddamn, like a get stray cats. All right, 1953, he's arrested three times, one dollar for shooting dice. It's not that bad. Pays seventy five bucks. Uh, 1955 is the first time the FBI starts fucking with the chin. They start learning about him because he uh, was running this like illegal car theft ring. Like he would take old model Cadillacs, take them out of state, sell them, but they could never really get him for anything. And this is one of the last kind of police attention he gets. He kind of just kind of starts pulling himself back. In 1955, and the FBI was invented. When did they come? When did I mean, that's? They haven't been around for a long time at that point, right? That's probably pretty close to what they were. I think in a little while longer, it talks about uh, Hoover starting to focus on him. So, yeah. I mean, he's still in the heat of the, the weird shit in the beginning. I love those old Cadillacs, man. Those are fucking, ugh, those are the best. You see those, like, those, like, giant boat-like Cadillacs that they always have in, like, all those fucking old movies? You look like you could just, like, transport seven dead bodies in those things. And, <laughs> you know, it's it was a, it's like... It's aquatic and land. It doesn't matter if you're yeah, going there. Yeah, exactly. You can take off into space if you really want. In 1955, he begins getting the attention of Vito Genovese, the head guy, and starts moving up real quick. Um, he's never really accused of murder, but the FBI memos and what they hear at this time say he rose up because he was one of the badass hitmen they had. And it would make sense because everyone was so terrified of him. You don't really get that if you're just punching people. To cover for his newly acquired income, he starts give he starts being given no show jobs, which are uh, what they'd give uh, they'd give high ranking members of mafia places so that they show they made us a little bit of income. His was a building superintendent for a mob building. And it's like God, could you imagine living in there and you got it? Your superintendent is a fucking mobster. That's well, it's, never there. Those are those fucking awesome like union jobs where they're like, yeah, yeah we're gonna get a guy in the payroll and you just get money. And you get benefits, and you don't have to do shit. Like, and you just go ugh. beat up people once in a while. That I, I've kind of thought about those. that with Screen Actors Guild. When I know like directors or producers, I'm sometimes like, dude, I need to make a certain. We have to make a certain amount of money to get benefits. Mm-hmm. So I always think about like, dude, can you just like hire me, and then you could just pretend I got edited out of the show, and I'll give you the money that you have to give me <laughs> to qualify. But I'm sure that is the kind of thing they check for all the time. Yeah, tax fraud or something. Also, yeah. you know, I mean, we're, I'm probably not even allowed to say this, but like. I feel like comedians are the only ones that don't have a fucking union. And that's why we're getting paid the same thing we got paid in 1985. <laughs> it's so true. I was on a fucking clubhouse the other day. That stupid app. And this guy, Bob Summer, I think, who was the host of Double Dare, was like, yeah, I love coming. You know, he was talking about comedy in the 80s and 70s. Like, yeah, it's great. You know, you go down there, you'd make your 1500 and you'd come back. I'm like, that's what I made this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear like the features 100, 150 a show. I'm like, that's exactly what I make. Dude, Everyone's making how more. is that possible, man? And then the comedy clubs are like, well, we're not making more money. It's like, well, your drinks went from a buck fifty to $14 a pack. <laughs> right, right, right. Happy to be here, though. Just happy to be involved. Yeah. March of 1956, the Chin is given the gob t- job to hit the current head of the opposite Luciano family, Frank Castillo. This is in order to make room for uh, Vito Genovese to completely tank over, take over. To prep for this, the Chin spent weeks practicing shooting and eating. He intentionally gained weight until he was 300 pounds so that when people saw him do the hit, no one would think it was him. What? Yes. Yes. Seriously? He went up about 100 pounds in like almost about like a month and a half. Jesus, that is like, I mean, again, it's like, God, with that kind of dedication, you really could have been a lawyer or something. He could have done a lot of things, and he thinks he thinks of a lot of shit that I feel like no one else ever thought of either, especially like when he starts going crazy in this one. So May 2nd, 1956, the Chen 
The chin pushes past the doorman of Castillo's building and said, this one's for you, Frank. Takes a shot at Castillo, misses. They say Castillo's fedora helped, but I don't know if he's, like, wearing a metal fedora. Grazes his scalp, squirts blood everywhere. Gigante runs away without finishing the job. And uh, he's like, oh, I focus too much on the eating part. <laughs> Then Gifar's just like two blocks down. <laughs> I should have practiced more shooting and less eating. Yeah, I should have got thinner and then gained back my normal weight. The crazy shit are uh, when the police go to talk to Costello, he just says, I didn't see anything. Oh, yeah. That's how, like, that's the level of badass he kind of was. So in about two months, he goes from 200 pounds to 300 pounds. And... How much weight do you think you could gain in 200 pounds? I think 100 is about the max. Okay, true story. So I was on this, uh, this crazy Comedy Central kind of reality show called Reality Bites Back, and it was like they would, 2008, and they would do like little kind of, if they would take a reality concept in one episode, you'd do like the opposite of it. So instead of the biggest loser, we did the biggest gainer, and you had to see who could gain the most weight in like a day. And I think in 36 hours, I gained 13 pounds. So Damn. you can do it. You just got to fucking like... Drink a lot of salt water so you, like, retain everything. So I don't know what kind of, like, nutritionist the chin had working with him, but there's definitely – you could pack it on pretty quick. That's pretty impressive. My biggest is I did the two weeks with Bert, and I gained 18 in two weeks. But that's, yeah, like, you, all beer and, like, IPAs and, like – That's that's know, a lot. Barbecue. <laughs> yeah, it really fucked me up when I got out, man. How is Bert still alive? Because <laughs> like, he runs. Like, he does, like, all this crazy shit, and then he runs – and, like, works out nonstop. Like, he works out every morning. He goes, carries, like, a weighted vest and, like, does these curls while he walks, like, five miles. Oh, he does. Okay. So, all yeah. of that is just so he can then eat, like, crazy and drink he, at night. And drink crazy. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I've all, honestly, if you watch his videos, he he likes to drink while he runs, like, on a treadmill. and drink a bottle of wine and make phone calls. <laughs> just like, I've never even heard of anyone ever doing that. So, like, if Bert didn't do that, he would be just jacked. <laughs> Shredded. Just Vin Diesel. He'd be like the rock. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny okay so okay let's say you're gonna kill someone you want to change yeah. your look what do you what do you do because you kind of want to go back to it you know what i mean i guess you'd want to go back to it you want to go back to the your regular look, yeah because right? you're gonna change your look in so that then they go like this guy like you wouldn't want to be like uh cut your whole face up and then they see this guy with the scars on his face killed yeah. someone and then your scars are still there that's <sighs> tricky man i've thought about that you know because every time you see like the fugitive or something they're like putting hair dye in I don't know. I mean, like, what options do you have? You guess, like, just a big-ass beard? And I think it's I'd a beard. have to, like, be real, like, clean-shaven and preppy for the rest of my life, which would suck. Yeah. I think but. it's the beard. I mean, that's what he did. I mean, he did the beard because that's what he – he became uncapped for the rest of his career almost. Became uncapped and gained 300 pounds. It's like – that seems like it. No, I would get corn rolls and gold teeth. Yeah, I like that one. And this – and maybe, like, a real press-on face tat. And I would just be, like, straight up – Thug style, you know, and then yeah, after that, put, I would were, go people, to like polos. were people skiing then? Why not just put a ski mask on and then black around your eyes? Because you can't walk in somewhere like that. That's true. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know. Or maybe like I dress up like a Hasidic guy, you know, I think I could pull off a Hasidic look, you know, get some fake payas and stuff like that. Like That's a pretty good snatch. one. Yeah. yeah. You got to go like a character and then just go a completely different character. Yeah. That's a pretty good one. So the press goes crazy over this event. The media, the media describes the shooter as being between 
30 and 35, six feet tall, heavy thighs, pop belly, wears a size 50 suit, and waddled by, while walking. <laughs> Which is a little rude. It's a little rough description. Yeah. Waddled is never a compliment. The, the press gave the shooter the nickname The Waddler and The Fat Man. <laughs> so, pretty good. The cops, I mean, how I, many guys do you think got smoked back in the day for giving the wrong nickname? You know what I mean? Like a mob guy is like, really? You guys are going to fucking call me this? You know, I mean, because some of those nicknames, I was watching some serial killer thing, and like, the Hillside Strangler's cool, the fucking Night Stalker's cool, but then there were some other guys with just like shitty nicknames, and that's why like no one talks about them, because they were like the Frog Stomper, and you're like, eh. <laughs> yeah, there was a Frog Town Killer, I think. Yeah. I mean, but it also then that's what then the media should stop giving cool nicknames, like always give bad nicknames, you know, like the small dick killer or like the that's actually the, a good bit. You should do that because it's true. Like the night soccer's dope. Like that's yeah. almost just like a fucking like that's just a cool name. But if you gave like the greasy faced, like third nipple guy, it's not going <laughs> right, to work that well for him. Right. <laughs> so uh, in May 56, the cops identify Gigante as the main suspect, but they can't find him. He kind of goes on the lamb, starts losing a ton of weight and then they talk to his wife and his wife says she's never seen him for a long time he's been on the run about like but when i do see him i'll actually want to fuck him again hopefully <laughs> after he gained that 200 pounds <laughs> i'm surprised he's not known as vincent the stretch mark gigante yeah seriously man probably riddled like a like a map um august of 56 so what three or four months later the chin he's tired of being on land he just walks into 54th precinct turns himself in he's much slimmer a lot cleaner looking um his belt his bail set about a buck 50 150k but he gets it reduced to 117 and instead of having the mob pay for it which was what the da the district attorney was hoping he has his immediate family bail him out they are able to come up with all the money so he's the da is pretty pissed because that was kind of like the little scheme to show that this guy's mob affiliated because how he could have got this money the, this trial begins for the chin. The doorman clearly identifies him, which is like sucks. You know what I mean? I gained 300 pounds. I then lost 100. I grew my hair out, and I still look the same. And then they call Castillo to the stand. Castillo goes to the stand, and he goes, I don't know him. That's not him. That's not the guy I saw. And when he leaves, you can hear the chin say, thanks, Frank. Appreciate that. <laughs> I'll never understand it. I just like the idea of not snitching is just I just don't have the DNA for that. I'll snitch fucking immediately. Matter of fact, I had a weird thought today. I had an Uber driver who was the worst Uber driver I've ever seen. And he was like kind of yelled at me when I told him to slow down because he was driving like crazy. And I and I was thinking like how much I wanted to snitch on him. And like I never do the low rating on the Uber. But then I got scared that like maybe now he knows where I live because he dropped me off. So like he seemed like that unhinged. Yeah, I could see that one. I mean, I did my first negative Yelp for that. I, I went to L, I went to uh, Phoenix to go buy this car this weekend. I agreed uh, in principle to buy the car for $8,000. When I got here, the guy didn't know I was doing shows here. He thought I was just driving to buy a car from Phoenix. He goes, hey, actually, the car's $12,000. What a fuck. Really? Yeah, bro. And he he gave me the $8,000 price because he goes, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to sweet talk him. I'm on the phone. I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm out here. You know, I might go out there. Maybe I'll pick up some shows. I do comedy. He goes, oh, you do comedy? You know a buddy of mine named Blank Blank? I go, yeah. You know, he's not. We know each other. I didn't say he was my best friend. But I go, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a guy, buddy of mine. He goes, oh, you know him? I'll knock off two grand from the 10K. So I'm like, that's what I'm like, okay, I'll come out. Come out with nine point five nine and a half $9,500 in, in cash. Go to buy it. The guy says the price was actually 12k, so when he knocked it down to two, it was just gonna be 10. Just bullshit. And I think he called his buddy, 
And his yeah. buddy was like, yeah, I don't know that guy. I don't give a fuck about that guy. Don't help him out. So, crazy story. That, what you just described, is exactly how the uh, Hilton hotel chain got formed. The guy back in, like, the early, early, whatever, nine, 1900s, Hilton grandfather went to buy a bank. And he had to, like, travel, like, three days on a train. And when he got there, the guy did that. The guy's like, oh, that's actually more money now. And so the Hilton guy's like, fuck that. So he spent the night in a hotel waiting to go back. And it happened to be we're like near a mine. And all these miners were just paying like for like five-hour shifts in the hotel. And it's like, this is pretty good. So he just bought the hotel. And then that's what started the whole fucking Hilton chain off that. Maybe this is so, going to be my moment. This is going to be the moment yeah, that dude, changes You're going to soon life. have a fleet. You're going to have like an armada of like <laughs> whatever guns. you're going to buy, Hondas. <laughs> So on May 27, uh, 1958, at about, they even got the time, 11.45, the jury gives a unanimous not guilty because Costello said he wasn't him. About a year later, Vito Genovese, Gigante, and a few others in the family were convicted of heroin trafficking, but this is believed to be fake because none of these guys dealt heroin. So this is another thing that changes Gigante's you know, the future, the way he sees the things. The first one was someone said his name, so he goes, no one else can ever fucking say my name again. The second one is he goes, he gets framed for trafficking heroin, and once he becomes the boss on his way off, way up, he goes, no one's selling heroin again. So he learns from his mistakes, but, uh, so Gigante got seven years. Uh, says he's framed. Um, the guy who kind of rats a mouse is this guy named Cantaloupes, like the melons, his last name. Yeah. It's not even a nickname. There's a guy, Johnny Bananas, later, which or Tommy Bananas, which is great. Um, the Cantaloupe's guy, before he dies, admits that he got 50K from two different rival family members to snitch on him. And then Cantaloupe dies when he goes when he gets out of jail. He dies in a bar fight that uh, no one ever solved. Huh. So probably. That's surprising, though, because I would think if you can't talk to the feds, you can't use them to take down other people either. Like, well, that's, that's what really- they do. That's a big thing that... Uh, well, once the feds start working with other criminals and cartels and stuff like that, a lot of times, you know, the guy will just be like, well, I need to get someone. And this guy will be like, well, I know where fucking Mo lives. He lives in Phoenix in this area with his wife. But they'll they just make up some shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I guess. They suck. That's, that, that's shady. Yeah. Quote from one of the prison guards who assessed Gigante in his 1960 admission. He goes, um, he takes pride in his praise showered upon him by the clergy and to be recognized as a henchman with racketeers, giving him the role of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It is anticipated that prior patterns will prevail following discharge. But he's released and he's rated a model inmate. And he, But the thing is that this one, the reason this is important is that when he says he's a model inmate, they also say he never demonstrated any abnormalities in his health or mental health, which is going to be a stark difference the rest of his life. He's uh, like, uh, this guy's like primal fear. Remember yeah, that what movie happened? with the Ed, movie? Ed Norton? I, don't, I mean, I'm, Ed Norton is like, you know, it's the whole thing. I mean, not to spoil it if anybody hasn't seen it, but he acts like a fucking crazy, like he has Tourette syndrome and he's like this guy in there, you know, and he's yeah. been interviewed the whole time. And then at the end, he flips and you realize the whole thing's a fake and he's just like this fucking brilliant serial killer. Like Kaiser Soze. Yeah, he's a, it's a Kaiser Soze move. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly it's a Kaiser Soze move. He's, he does exactly that. Um, yeah, so we're good there. The chin... Uh, so Chen in 66, when he gets out, he quickly establishes himself in the Greenwich Village neighborhood of New York. He's running numbers, loan sharking, skimming from bars. And this is when J. Edgar Hervis starts focusing on him. Greenwich, that's where the comedy cellar is, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he runs that place for a long time. I'm wondering, like, I wonder if one, they used to have to pay him a cut or something. Because he runs this shit to, like, the 90s. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's kind of cool. 
Did I get one of those two drinks? Yeah. Every. <laughs> it's the only three drink minimum because he gets one of them. <laughs> that's so funny. And also, that's why there's so many like. That's he's, and he's like, uh, not Ray Romano, but who's the? He used to sell the heroin to Artie Lang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, his nose when it's all fucked up, it, it's got Artie Lang features. Like, yeah, features like that weird flat nose, the deflated nose he has. Yeah. So he's able to avoid having a parole officer because his lawyer, this is when he starts going into, somehow he got the idea that going crazy, saying you're crazy, can negate any kind of bad shit you do. So he tell, So his lawyer says he can't have a parole officer because it makes him in a very nervous state and he needs to rest, which is like, I mean, who is not the same for anyone that would have a parole officer? Yeah. But it works. Anyone, that doesn't help anybody's mood, I'm sure. Yeah, it doesn't. No one's ever like stoked to see their parole officer and, yeah. and it makes them invigorated. So after prison, Chin plays it safe. He goes a long time without any, getting any trouble. I mean, like almost the whole 60s. And the only time he got in trouble was one $15 ticket. I don't think I, I think my theory is uh, that the FBI was just focusing on uh, the Black Panthers the whole time. So they just stopped looking at the, the fucking mafia for the 60s. They're like, all right, we got to shut the we got to yeah. shut the Black Panthers down, because I think Hoover was big time like. Well, the whole. Yeah. Doing was a, that. I mean, the whole black. I mean, the whole uh, FBI was got extremely racist for like the right, whole right. beginning. Like, yeah, the whole thing. these whites keep breaking yeah. them off for for a decade. And then they what work together to kill Kennedy. Uh, during the '60s, the Genovese family starts going to business with Morris Levy and creates promo records and roulette records. They start giving out record contracts. And what their big thing that they did, and a lot of mafia guys did this, is they would add their friends, themselves, and other people onto writing credits, so oh that whenever God. the song gets played, they get a piece of it. And then when people got mad. Like this guy, Jimmy Rogers, he's pretty famous, not that famous. Uh, he stopped making music for two years, and then they beat him the shit out of him till the man could never sing again and almost died. The most notable artist on, uh, I think it was promo records, was actually Stephen Stills from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. This was before he was in that band, but he was just like a me member of this huge ensemble. But it's like, oh, that's pretty interesting that this guy fucking... Wow, that's, that's, uh, that's really shady. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they put their names on there so they. I mean, after all the money they're making, they still want those little fucking writing residual checks. Well, he got into this thing. He so he got in with Morris Levy, but Morris Levy was also was started with these two other guys. But they got into such large gambling debts, which is kind of what happens with. That's how they start. That's how they really get in your business. And they got bad, bad gambling debts. They got kicked out. These guys got brought in, and they started making money that way. So in 1966, the Chin finds Olympia number two. That's what the FBI calls her is Olympia number two. And it's like, I think she'd be pretty pissed if she was known as Olympia number two. <laughs> right. He starts his second family with her. Uh, have this, some kids, Lucinda, Vincent, and Carmela. He moves his old family to Old Tap in New Jersey. It's a lot safer. I, I, I really hope that the kids have the same names as the other family's kids. <laughs> <laughs> this is Joseph Jr. the second. <laughs> Who's the other one? Uh, you'll meet him. Well, you won't meet him. Just don't go to New Jersey. Don't ever fucking go to New Jersey. So he moves his old family out to Old Teppan, New Jersey, and starts uh, paying off cops. And it seems right. like it's a pretty good rig. The cops, the gig, the cops are being cool with him. It's a lot more uh, chill out there. And his big way of doing it is uh, on Christmas time, he would put a crisp $100 bill in an um, envelope and give it out to all the guys at their Christmas party. And I think this is kind of in the part of his life in the late 60s when he starts learning how the system works better. You know, he's like having a mistress and he's putting him in different cities. 
He's paying off cops. He starts checking himself in the mental hospital immediately after that, this. And here's an idea. Here's one, too. This was, let's say you have a mistress, but it's back in the day. It's back in the day, so not now, so you can't get caught on. Right. There's no Facebook. Or there's no that. Facebook. Yeah. There's no, like, any of that kind of shit. You should have to look in, like, a Rolodex somewhere. Ugh, the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what are you going to do? What, it's what do you mean, what I, if, if I got caught having a mistress? or No. What are you going to do to keep one? Like, let's say you want this uh, double family. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I guess what I would do is I would just, like, tell my agent, you know, hey, dude, start booking me for, like, $500 a week. Like, whatever you got to do to get me on the road, you know, and then I would – you'd have to have, like, a road wife, but then you'd be like, you know, I don't know. That would be tricky. That would be no, tricky. No, I think, you know, comedian – it is definitely you got to be a road guy to have the double family. Comedian would work or, like, road salesman because then you could say, I'm going to fucking New Jersey this week, and sometimes you go to New Jersey, but also sometimes you just go with your other girl. So comedian yeah. would probably be a pretty good, good one, just in the cast I, I can't imagine having it in the same town. Like, I've never cheated in a way where you have – this seems way too stressful. Like, every time you go to the Grove, you're just like, oh, hope she's not there. <laughs> I mean, that Fuck. shit just sounds like – how does that ever work? Or the caller ID one now. It's like, oh, and then she calls me, and this, it just says, like – or, like, Pizza Hut's calling you. It's just like, ugh. I remember when I used to cheat in high school in, like, in my early 20s. It was just a level of fear constantly that you're going to be caught. Like, the shoe's going to come down. Oh, when you head. do pull it off, isn't it the best? Yeah, it is pretty fun. Oh, God, it's so great. it feels so like, bad. Two, two, you know, one, you drive around, the other one. I've only done it a few times where you're just like, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> this is what it's all about. And then the shame and the, and the, and the, and the, and the guilt kind of hits you like an hour later. But for yeah. a second there, you really feel pretty It's cool. great. In the, in the moment, yeah. cheating yeah. is fantastic. Right. And then you realize, minutes oh, wait, after. This is, these are human beings, and I'm a scumbag. I, I you know. A long time ago. Other, I never did that, but I've heard stories. <laughs> I used to do it. In my early 20s, I was a real piece of shit. Yeah. So April 27th, 1970 is the first time Gigante checks himself into a mental hospital because he just he's, he's, he keeps saying, I want to sleep forever. They say, so that's kind of like where the Tony Soprano thing comes in, where he was, he might, the first couple times he might actually be kind of depressed. A month later, Chin's lawyer, John Caridi, appears in court to state that the Chin cannot appear as he's seeking psychiatric treatment at St. Vincent Hospital. This is the Chin's second mental hospital visit, and he checked in the day before the scheduled court appearance comes out, so starts looking pretty shady. Starts looking like he knows what he's going to do. But his wife, because this part, this little information right here is going to come and come, uh, could be very important in about... 30 years his wife starts co-signing on his admissions saying he needs care and he does not realize it and that he's actually can he's actually crazy because once she starts lying to the court that's uh not good that's a felony and you're gonna go to jail for that if they catch out that he's not mentally handicapped which they might find out later and might why we might believe that he wasn't actually uh mentally uh fucked up the whole time now could she have kept him in there you know, like sometimes people get to that mm -hmm. point where somebody can like sign fifty one fifty them or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I think that was just a ruse, and she was just on the thing and was friends with them. And yeah, man, you really don't want to marry a, a gangster. It just they. I feel like they're always going to ask you to do some fucking crazy shit like that. And then like you're getting none of the. Well, I guess she was getting the 
like live off the fun of the mafia money and shit. Yeah, and if she was like, if she's Italian and growing up in that time, who knows if her family wasn't involved and now she gets to be with a guy who might be the godfather. Yeah, but it kind of sucks, though, because if you're going to be with the godfather, you want her to be taking you out to nice restaurants. You want to go to Copacabana, but if he's trying to pretend like he's a fucking lunatic, you're like, great, I got to take you to the goddamn mental hospital. This is not worth it. (laughs) Yeah, that is exactly true, because he goes, he starts really have put putting in leaning in hard to this crazy shit like he's gonna start you'll you'll hear about it so gigante's um in september of 1970 so he just got out of the 60s gigante's third mental hospital stay he says he needs help because he's feeling very apprehensive an fbi mole planted in the hospital says this is is a just an elaborate ruse trick so that's three hospital trips in a year um do you think what else do you think that acting crazy might help you get out of or would help with a racket. I'm thinking kind of like a white guy, white man can't jump kind of thing. You know, you're in Venice Beach, some like fat guy in a Hannah Montana T-shirt sucking on a turkey leg comes up. You're like, I'll take him. And then he's just bamming on on other dudes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. Uh, the hustling. Um, I don't. Yeah. Oh, you know what's a good one? Not getting harassed in bad neighborhoods. If you just act like a fucking lunatic, no one's going to like really come up to you. In fact, I remember I was in uh, I was in South Africa doing shows. Actually, my brother was with me and we were like, we noticed that some guy was like tailing us and we thought this guy was going to try to jump us or whatever. Uh. And then I was like, let's just start speaking like fake Russian to each other because people are scared of Russians, you know. Mm-hmm. So we just started like going like, and sure enough, the guy kind of just like bounced. You know, yeah, like, I feel like Americans a lot more robbable than yeah. We seem like Russians. such pussies, but even yeah. if you just speak with like a a, a fucking if you ain't fucking at they're just like I don't know what the fuck's going on. These guys, are kind of yeah, crazy. that's good. Yeah. I feel like I would say like Canadian is like number one robbable. Yeah, no, if, you, if, you, if they hear on a boat, you're gonna get fucking hit with a billy jack. <laughs> hey, like buddy, you just got yeah blackjacked right to the back of your head. One informant stated that the chin did this because he feared if he had to go back to prison, he would become a rat or gay. The informant stated that the chin would easily crack one's back, and I mean, this seems like some bullshit. I don't even know why I put it in there, but Wait, he go the the chin was he was worried he'd become gay if he went back to jail. Yeah, that's what one informant said, and it was in his book. And it's like, I mean, that's uh, to me, isn't everyone's like reason to not go to jail because you don't want to be? I mean, I think gay people probably meant raped, and you just don't want to get raped. <laughs> If, if you take rape out of prison, it's not that, that bad. That would just be a pretty weird way to describe rape. Yeah, just being gay now? I don't want someone to make me gay. It's like, wait, what do you mean? Raped? Is that how you think that's how you think No, you I don't want gay? him to take me out to a nice dinner, maybe dancing in a Copacabana and kiss my kiss my face. Yeah. I don't know. What would you do if you're in prison to not get raped? Mine would be never showering. And just probably have it be consensual, I guess. <laughs> what was it? Just make it consensual, I guess. So you're putting it, you just got a little... I'm little, just saying, if you're in jail for 30 years, how yeah. is not everyone gay at the end? Fuck. I mean, I would 100% be gay. Like, come on, what are you going to do? Just not have sex? Like, if you're in there for life, what are you just not sleep? Hey, you're not going to have sex with anybody? You're going to have to fucking get some imagination going and, and make it work. I mean, it's better. It's got to be better than just jerking off at the end of the day, right? Would, would you go to jail? I would probably kill myself. To me, I think I'd kill myself anything over 10 years. God, I hope I never have to face that. Yeah, I don't won't. know. I don't know. But that idea, I think it's crazy when I see comedians like 
drinking or just anybody drinking and driving because like that's one of those ones where you could like live a totally law-abiding life and then do something like that and go to jail for like serious time yeah that's you know true. It's generally you're not going to go to jail for a long time if you're not breaking the law but those fucking little things like that people don't realize like you go to jail for like 12 years for that shit yeah drinking and driving and, and also like you could get caught if you got caught selling drugs the first time you're not going to go to jail for i mean you might go to jail you're not going to go to prison or if you yeah. do or if you fight somebody or beat them i mean if they die yeah but if you like you won't go but if you drink and drive that's like a serious like, a, like that's yeah, a you one go, you could get fucked up on yeah, I don't know, man. Whenever I hear people killing themselves before going to jail, whatever, especially like these guys who kill themselves, like I think there's a few that happened. Some guy in Hollywood, he was like a pedophile. Like, then it's like, yeah, why would you not kill yourself? Because not only going to jail, your life's over. Like, you know what I mean? Like, A, you have this horrible, fucked up brain, and then like you're just considered a complete monster. It's like there's no, it's not like when you get out, things are good. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? You're still like, a pedophile your life's guy. life's still horrible. Yeah. You're literally the worst. Like, that's, yeah. I don't know. Being a pedophile. I mean, I'd rather be a murderer than a pedophile for sure. I mean, that's, well, yeah, yeah. Pedophile is probably the worst thing you could possibly be. Yeah. So November 1971, FBI officially suspends any investigations into the chin because he does another hospitalization visit. This is like the third psychiatrist that's saying, yeah, he's fucked up during this. And also during this time, this is when the chin officially becomes a capo. And, uh, you know, that. The real funny part, actually, is that the FBI, before they quit, they start looking through the chat, the trash of one of the Chin's businesses, Pete's Novelty Shop, which, okay, two things. Number one, this is why I keep not understanding in this thing. The Chin has businesses that he owns. So if he's fucking crazy and he doesn't know what he's doing, how is he able to own all these businesses? Somewhere in his parents' name, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I guess he's but also, what I was wondering is, do other mob guys see this working and we're like, oh, I want to be fucking crazy, too. Like, we're going to talk about that chin, later. Like, dude, you can't do that. I'm the guy who's the crazy guy. You know? He does. He does. He says he says if anyone else starts doing this, he's going to fucking him up or kill him. And it's just so funny, too, because, like, imagine just, like, walking down the street and you see the other guy doing your act. Yeah. You're just fucking pissed. But you can't break the character. So you're just like, I don't know. Do you just try to out? special at each other you're just like i don't know feces. i feel like i would definitely be like all right well fine and i have down syndrome if you're gonna be <laughs> schizophrenic and i got what i get to be autistic or i get to be something you know like you can't have all the mental stuff <laughs> so the one thing about pete's novelty shop is no one has ever been seen buying anything at pete's novelty shop like yeah. they watch it for a long time not a single customer comes in but there are people just counting large stacks of money yeah, and, I've seen uh, those places. I, there used to be a Russian uh, deli in my old neighborhood in San Francisco, and you'd just see the same four Russian guys playing chess in front of it all day, every day. And I remember one time I actually went in there and, and asked for to make me a sandwich. The guy was like, Sir, oh, God. And he just went behind the counter and just made the worst sandwich anyone's ever made. And I was just like, oh, okay, you just don't ever want me to come back. He has to go back. He's like, do we have bread? He's do we like, have bread really at this do? deli? You don't act like you don't know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even wearing an apron. There's no meat. There's a lot more people paying. I think that's how Spencer's was able to stay open for so long, you know? So I've never seen anyone actually biting anything from Spencer's. Early 1971, the chin meets a psychiatrist about uh, the police bribery case, right? So the police are now kind of getting on to him what he was doing in Old Tapan, New Jersey, when he was paying off people. Um, he starts sleeping at his mother's house. Uh, he's noted to be unkept and unshaven. And those words keep popping up in all of his cases and all the things. Um, 
about him. And he starts getting brought in to be like uh, interviewed by like the FBI and different psychiatrists. And what he does is he either stays silent or stares and talks with like this emotionless tone. And he just it, like the whole time he's doing it, he'll pop Thorzines, which are like a, a schizophrenia, schizophrenia, schizophrenia. I said that right. Yeah. And an anti-suicide pill like potato chips. Like they're like he's having like six at a time. So he's like melting his brain just in that time. And he's really selling it, man. But it almost goes too far because at this trial, then they go, the cops and the FBI start going, okay, man, okay, yeah, you're crazy, you're crazy. Well, we think you need electroshock therapy. <laughs> so they yeah. start, great, great argument, you know what I mean? Because you just fucking caught his hand in the cookie jar. Dude, so, so true story. When I was uh, in high school, I was not, I didn't do good on my SATs and my mom was like, you know, I, my parents always were like, uh, you know, I probably did have ADD. I mean, I'm, you know, I had trouble paying attention. My mom's like, yeah. you got to you got to do that test. So you get extra time in the SATs. And uh, and when we went to take the test, she goes, you know, you want to, f- you know, the worse you do, the more time you'll get. So I was like, I got gotcha. you. So I purposely <laughs> did it wrong. Like, I, you know, but then I also kind of just like spaced out and probably did it wrong anyway. So the doctor recommended my mom that I get a, a neurological examination. <laughs> And then she was like, uh, we're good. <laughs> I'm not going to me- do that. Do you remember, uh, uh, they were called like cat nines. They weren't SATs, but every year in California, you'd have yeah. to take this test. Yeah, CATs. CATs, yeah, yeah, the CATs. So my senior year, I didn't give a fuck. So I re- I didn't know anyone looked. So it's two columns, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, 50 and 50. And I did, I did a perfect dick. Like at the top, I went down <laughs> here, and, it, and there were, and there were no double bubbles or anything, right? So if it's scanned, it'll look fine. And <laughs> and then I got, I remember they called me over the speakers. They were like, "Steve Fury, we need Steve Fury in the office." And I went, and I mean, they didn't really get me in trouble. I just had to retake it, and I didn't, I didn't care again because it, it didn't have anything to do with you. No, as a I, student. you're right. I never understood what that test was. That was like we were doing them a favor. Like it helped them know if we were stupid or not. Like exactly. Didn't really do anything for us. So it was no. like, why do we have to take an extra test just for you guys? And it took d- days, like two weeks. Yeah. And it was like yeah. eight hours a day. So I just did the dick, and it was. I didn't think I was gonna get in trouble, but I get. I guess. I mean, if anyone would have took two seconds to look at it, they would have seen just like a huge cock. So. The chin, uh, the chin's lawyer is arguing against the electro uh, shock because, uh, and then the psychiatrist he tricks another psychiatrist, and it's not like the same guy. He's just doing it over and over to these different dudes. And the psychiatrist goes, uh, "Normally, the electro shock doesn't really help schizophrenia, but it is weird that he develops schizophrenia this late in life." Because yeah, guess like that, like basically does not happen. Yeah, like it's. I don't even. I, I used to work with schizophrenics, like. In college, I thought it was going to be like a social work or whatever, and it almost never, very, very rarely, I guess it could happen whenever it's like, it's like 16 to like 21 for males. Yes, is when you get it, yeah. So how do they but, explain that one? <laughs> There's like, eh, something happened in prison. Yeah, yeah, the gay thing. That's where he had to disassociate. So, <laughs> right. so in late 1971, the chin is full control of Greenwich Village streets and is rumored... Uh, He's just a crazy person. He's fucking with everybody. He's now in control of this place. He's moving his way up. Uh, 1972, this chin is continuing to act insane. He stays at his mother's apartment. One day, uh, he can kind of hide it from his family. Look, man, this beer's hitting me. Wait, so he was his mom's still alive? His mom's still alive. It does seem like Italian women live a long time, doesn't yeah, it's it? It's crazy. You, 
You always see them. And and it's like not even that weird for their sons to still be living with them when they're in like their 50s. Well, I think too. So I think he would just stay there. I think he still, you know, still has his wife and other things. But it does seem like immigrants in the past, like it was okay for you to the family to live there until you get married. Like, I think, honestly, women were supposed to stay at home until they got married. I think that still kind of happens with, like, certain groups now. Like, I remember, I remember like, I would da- I tried dating some Persian girl in L.A., and she was, like, in her 30s yeah. and was, like, still living at home, but she had, like, a good job. And she was like, yeah, I just like what being with my parents. Like, really? <laughs> you do? That's amazing. Yeah, I got out when I was 18. I lived in a guy's, like, back gazebo just to fucking get out of the house. I mean, my parents are great. I just wanted to get out as quickly as I could. Yeah, seems normal. So, 1972, while the Chin's continuing to act insane, he's staying at his mom's house, and he has his daughter, little daughter, young Rita, come over and visit him. Uh, he forgets Rita's there. She's playing under the table, and the Chin has one of his associates come over. He goes, don't ever fucking disrespect me. And he starts bashing in the guy's head. So, like, she's under the table. She can't see. He can't see her, but the guy's down there, kind of like kind of like that movie thing when the guy dies, and the kid's under the table, and it's always like his mom or dad or something. Or looking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's pounding the guy's fucking head in blood going everywhere he stops for a sec and just starts stomping his head and then he goes fuck him get him out of here and someone comes in and takes him out jesus i mean that'll change you something man that's definitely gonna clean my room from that from then on out <laughs> so we could we, we got we're, we're doing pretty good on time i think we got uh Maybe five more pages, Jeff. We'll go pretty quick. So April 7th, 1972, the Chin orders the hit on Crazy Joe Gallo, pretty famous guy, uh, and he demands that he gets gunned down in his, on his birthday in front of his family. Yeah, Sebastian Maniscalco played him in uh, The Irishman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of The Irishman in here and a lot of different movie guys coming. I mean, I guess the Chin's like one of the biggest guys ever, you know. He's pretty But he pretty never big. got any, he didn't get any love in The Irishman. No, he didn't, which was actually kind of weird. Yeah, Joe. Yeah. So Joey Jolly, ga, ga, Gal. Oh, excuse me. Joe Gallo. Check out that song. Bob Dylan has an amazing song about it called Joey on his oh, album sorry. Desire. It's fucking great. Are you a big? Uh, I love Dylan. Yeah, and that's Dylan a great guy? song. It's all about. It's all about uh, Joe Gallo. How do you feel about the Wallflowers? Uh, was that his son? I don't know mm. much about him. <laughs> I know he has one, one album that's pretty good. I remember liking that song. You yeah. know, it came out like headlights, and he has three Marlenas and a couple of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I kind of fuck with that one pretty heavy. Joe, I mean, Bob Dylan's cool. I just saw him live one time, and it was just like the worst. Yeah, I've, I've heard that story show so I've ever seen in my yeah. life. I mean, he's seventy nine or something like that. It's like, yeah, like an old guy. Also, like when you're doing acoustic music in like this day and age, it's not like the most like grabbing thing when people have like fucking LEDs <laughs> right, right, and lasers right, yeah. and shit. Just like an old man with like a hat. It's hard um, to drop Molly and go to a Bob Dylan concert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just for your smoke weed. Maybe have wine or something chill. Yeah. During the 70s and... For- Dude, I actually... Oh, no. I was Neil Young. Sorry. I'm going to skip that story. Yeah, I was about a Crosby, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young concert. Or it was a Crosby, Stills, and Nash concert. And fucking Neil Young showed up and was able to join him. It was fucking amazing. It was in Tahoe. One of the great concerts I went to, I went with my dad. During the 70s, informants often say that the chin is a psycho and he's going into treatment just to scam people, but they also don't say that very much because he will fucking kill them. (laughs) (laughs) So in September of 72, the second time a federal psychiatrist visits and interviews, like this is, these are now even like, it went from private people that he was hiring, people his lawyer was having, to now federal psychiatrists, people working for the government, and he's still tricking them. This guy should have been an actor. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was like Christian Bale. He gained weight. He lost it for a role. He's pretending to be crazy. So what happens is he the chin meets this doctor, and he just says all these like weird face ticks, like like this over and over again. He starts shaking his le- legs and muttering his a- answers. He often gets up and tries to and says he wants to go with his mom in the waiting room, and she's not even there. And this was enough for the psychiatrist, federal psychiatrist. Like the feds are like, yo, fucking. I mean, he's kind of on their side. Like he's not, but he's like on their side and he goes this patient is not mentally competent and cannot adequately consult with his attorney in his own defense the psych the psychiatrist wrote that to the prosecutors gigante's new psychiatrist examined him yet again for the defense and the news unsurprisingly was even worse for prosecutors why but can't they just throw you in some sort of a jail even if you are crazy like, don't you go to, like, a mental institution mental at least? Issues. Yeah, I think so, too. But I think, like, they're saying, like, he can't even get... Like, there's no proof that he's even doing these crimes. Like, they don't have any recordings of him doing them. So there's not, like... You know, some people, they're like, we found your DNA on all these so women. So then that's, that like, killed. on the FBI. Because crazy or not, like, how, if you don't have any proof, even if, you, even if he's not crazy, what are they going to do? But then they keep getting their investigations shut down because they can't put money into a guy who... For fucking what is it? We're at like 1975 now. He's been he's been deemed crazy since like the mid 60s. Right, right, right. Because they're like, what's the point of arresting him? Like, we're just gonna like you know, he's gonna get away again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 1973, the FBI shuts down everything again. He has the bribery things dropped. Um, He just he has all the. I mean, it's, it's now he's almost bulletproof for a long time. The press starts trying to go to Africa because a lot of times back in the day, like the like uh, well, actually like uh, drug dealers and shit in other countries use this. Like they'll start feeding the press information and that turns like people like the uh, like the populace against things, even if the feds or the police can't do anything. But that's what the uh, feds start doing with uh, the media in New York. They start feeding him stuff that he's stabbing club owners, illegal selling legal cigarettes. I'm going <clears> to <throat> I'm going to do that rule one more time. OK, yeah. One, two, three. Bam. The press ties Chin to gambling operations, the stabbing of club owners. He starts dis- distributing illegal fireworks and stuff like that, but nothing sticks. And that the feds are kind of feeding the press this stuff because they can't get them. Pretty yeah. good. I don't know. It's kind of like wh- what they're doing with like uh, sexual harassment stuff now and stuff. Yeah, yeah that is exactly these, what they're doing. Like some of these people are like the statute of limitations, and they have no proof. So they're like, all right, I'll take it to Twitter. Yeah, the, the, court of, the court of public uh, appeal or the court of whatever the yeah, public Yeah, but feels. the thing about these Italian communities, you know, which was probably or maybe I'm wrong about this or maybe it's true. But it seemed like in the Italian communities, at least on one side, these guys were like still given cred for this shit. Mm-hmm. So they could still be heroes even in their own community, mm-hmm. you know. So like I was reading up on. I don't know. I mean, that, that kind of changed it because no matter how much they put in the papers, if your own community is still like if you could still operate within uh, within like your own set, your own borough, then who well, cares? Then it doesn't really affect you that much. Yeah. Yeah. So Hunter Hill, the guy who inspired Goodfellas, uh, he was wise on what uh, the chin was doing, but he never flipped on him because the chin was that crazy. And in the late 70s, the chin starts doing his anti-drug thing. He's becoming higher and higher into the Genovese family, and what he does is if he finds anyone dealing drugs, he takes them to the top of a roof and throws them off. 
See, and, I, and this is exactly what I'm just thinking about what I just said. I'm like, that's probably really dumb because probably the people in the communities didn't like that these guys were doing this. But if they said anything, they'd be fucking yeah, they're killed. terrified. So I'm sure it wasn't just a bunch of people like, yeah, we like these guys. Or like, if we say anything, they'll fucking kill us. So, yeah, I, 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 uh, I changed my opinion on that immediately. Once the guy got thrown off the building, I was like, yeah, 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 that was stupid. But I, f- but I also feel like people like, you know, a lot of times, especially in these immigrant communities, they weren't able to go to police because maybe the police didn't like them. So then these guys turned into like they're sort of like neighborhood police and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, it's that tricky thing. It's like that Pablo Escobar thing where this guy's destroying your country, but at the same time he built you like a school and you're like, mm-hmm. uh, What do you something? do? I mean, yeah. same with the government. Government does nice shit and then they turn around and you. <laughs> That's true. So the snitches would get the same treatment as the guys who sell dope. The chin became more powerful and more obsessed, and now he would do the same thing for just people saying his name. And it went from people in his own organization to any crime family in New York. If they said his name, they would be executed for it. Yeah. Which is just fucking insane. Fucking a lot of it's high stakes. That's a guy you just stop doing business with. Is this too much? He's just got. He's like his rider is too strong. Yeah. The comedians like I need this. I need that. It's like eh, I'll book somebody else. <laughs> yeah, it's like where am I going to find only green uh, jelly beans at this time? <laughs> right. 1977, the FBI uh, still kind of tracking him. They don't got anything. Uh, they say he's rarely on the streets, and when he is, he does doing this crazy man routine. Like he'll walk down Sullivan Street almost naked in a gown with a with a chair and start yelling at people. Once in a while, he has another one. Will just start pissing in the street or pooping or start talking to like I guess uh, I guess this this at this time they have the uh, parking meters. And so he'll just have a conversation in like a robe naked in a parking meter. He'll do this once in a while. And it's like, I dude, what is he just at a certain point was like, he just liked it. Like it wasn't yeah. even about the out, the, the alibi anymore. It was just sort of like, it's just kind of fun shitting on the sidewalk and watching people think <laughs> like, it's just, it's just for kicks. Cause if you could establish that and you were like powerful enough that no one was going to like fuck you up for doing it, that would be kind of fun. It's kind of like Hollywood pedophiles, you know, they become like the guys that run like, a movie or a, a production company so that they can do evil shit and not get in trouble for it. And maybe he never wanted to be a gangster. He just wanted to be okay to walk around naked and poop and pee on the street. That's a fucked up thing with pedophiles. Cause if you ever, like if somebody ever works with kids, like maybe they're doing like really great stuff, like working with kids. But as soon as I hear they're working with kids, I'm like, eh, that seems creepy. It like, is that's weird. Kinda, like if you're a priest and you're actually just in it because you actually want to be a priest and you're not a pedophile, that sucks. Because as soon as I hear you're a priest, I'm like, you're probably a pedophile. You know, <laughs> like it just, it just, it's too synonymous in my brain right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just I've, I've never been. I mean, I like, I mean, but, you know, teachers, I like, I like kids a lot. I'm, I'm, I ran like this after school program yeah, for a couple years. you're probably a pedophile. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I never got caught for it. And this is going to be what takes me down. <laughs> So in the oh, early speaking na- of priests, not to help priests or pedophiles, but this was hilarious because I'm sure there's a lot of great priests out there. But there was this priest that came up. I was in the airport today, and this guy, I don't know, he dressed like a cardinal. Like, he had a big fucking robe, the cross, and everything. He's this big fat guy. He came up to get coffee, and he didn't have a mask. And the woman was like, you got to put on a mask. And he put on his mask, but it was too small to cover his whole face. She's like, I can't serve you in that mask. I was like, I love it. This guy's got his fucking cross, his whole thing. And he's like, get the fuck out of here, you fat fuck. <laughs> You might have Jesus on your side, but that mask is too small. Yeah, I don't, buddy. Yeah, I mean, uh, the excuses people will use just to do anything. In the early 1980s, the chin wants to change the leadership of the mafia family in Philadelphia, so he, he, he convinces this guy, Antonio Tony Bananas Companegro, to kill the Phil- Philadelphia mob boss, Angelo Bruno. Yeah. Companegro and an accomplice unload shotguns into Bruno's car. 
Bruno dies. Then the chin goes to uh, all the other crime families because they don't know that he hired um, Tony Bananas. And he goes, to show everybody I respect Philadelphia and I love everyone here, I'll go find the guys that did this. He goes and gets the guys and really fucks them up. The chin brings Wait, Campanella. Wait, he kills the guys that he hired? To kill the mob bosses in Philly. Wow, smart. So he he goes, he gets those guys. He make he goes, he gets Campanegro and Freddy Salerno to the Triangle Club, that one place he has with all the posters in it. And he has Campanegro shot 14 times with five different guns. That's pretty bad. Gets way worse. The guy's first shot in his elbows, and then they move up his arms... And after being shot in his arms, he was repeatedly stabbed and beaten. And they did the same thing to Freddie Solano. Both men were stripped naked, put $20 bills in their mouths and up their asses, and they were disposed in the trunks of two different abandoned cars. Wow. That so, is, uh, uh, who, who has to shove the money up their ass? Is that like the guy? <laughs> he's like the intern. <laughs> Yeah, I'll do the yeah. ma- no. I'm I, I'm I'm ass again. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> you gotta pay your you gotta pay your dues. You know, you get <laughs> you gotta keep up. grinding, brother. You started ass, you work your way up to mouth, and then uh, you yeah, know before you know it, <laughs> you're shooting elbows. <laughs> right, right, right. So the expert, an excerpt from the book is uh, pretty much what what uh, then Gigante does, and he goes and wipes out this whole crew. So he kills the main mob boss of Philadelphia. He wipes out the second crew. And then he implements a guy, pretty much like you know America does with dictators and shit, puts in his own guy to run the other crew. So now he's running Philadelphia too. Right, 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 right. He put in little Nicky Scarfa, I think, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So what he does is he, this guy named Johnny Keys, 69, he kills that guy, throws him in a landfill. Then he, before he kills the guy, which is kind of cool, the guy goes, he just said, let me say two things. And he, one, he just says, I know Genovese did all this, uh, uh, Gigante. And he goes, before you kill me, I want a made man to kill me, and I want to take off my shoes. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe it was like a, you know, maybe like a party when you, when you, when you get drunk and you sleep with your shoes on. People can write dicks on your face. Maybe that's the same thing when you die. Um, a guy, Frank Sidoni, 52, was discovered in Philadelphia after behind a variety store in two plastic bags. And he was shot three times in his head. And he just he just decimated the Philly mob leadership, put his own guys in there. And once he did this, the chin utilized hits and favors to become the voice for the Genovese family, the Philly families, the Cleveland families, and the Chicago families. So he's pretending to be crazy. And he tricks all these people, and now he's running. Dude, I mean, yeah, he's doing the fucking uh, the U.S. government routine in Latin America, basically. Yep, exactly. Or anywhere we've fucking really gone into. Yeah. So, so he has pick, another. Pick, he's, pick, pick a place. Yeah, pick a place. Pick we anywhere. Not, up. Pick anywhere not doing well right now. Right. We probably put in someone. Pick who? There. Pick whoever is now our enemies with our own guns. <laughs> eh, that was us in the seventies. We trained them at some point. So he's still doing a bunch of like. Construction shit. He takes over stuff. He's making $2 million a year from the Dock Workers Association in New Jersey. The the the, the feds are still watching him, but they can't get him in trouble. They start na- naming he has different outfits he wears. There's one called the Looney Tunes, where he wears a floppy hat, old shitty shoes, messed up pants, a worn bathrobe, and like a Tweety Bird shirt. You know, just kind of like wander around up and down the street like this. Just playing around, I guess. 
know. This makes me think of all the crazy homeless people in my neighborhood now. I wonder if like one of them is like running some big cartel. Yeah. That would be a great one. Oh, a cartel one. You just live in your tent, but your tent's all teched out. You just don't let anybody <laughs> out. <laughs> right, right. I hope oh. so. That would be. I would like to think that at least one of these homeless guys is running a cartel that lives on my street. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Um, so towards the end of the 80s, the FBI now starts following even more and surveillance stuff's getting better. And they're noticing him when he goes to Olympia number two's house. He's he's like normal there. And then when he leaves, he gets he gets dressed like a fucking like a fucking plumber going to work where they put on a jumpsuit. But he puts on like his odd father outfit. Which Why did they like that should have been the FBI's keep his evidence. This guy is crazy. He shits in his own hat hat. He lives with his mom and he has two wives. How does he have two wives if he's doing that? And multiple nope. businesses that he's running. Right, right, right. Like it just seems like it clearly doesn't add up. Or he's Forrest Gump. He's like yeah. the highest functioning guy with a lot of problems. <laughs> so uh, the chin tries to kill John Gotti. He fucking hates that guy. And he actually, sadly for everybody else, he prevents Gotti from carrying out a hit on Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani should be uh. dead, but the chin saved him. Um, he misses Gotti. Well, we don't know what happened, but he does murder one of his uh, under the Gambino bosses by using a plastic explosive bomb. He uses that because that's not something he used to do. 1990, FBI uses a battering ram, breaks down this front door, takes him in. Um, and when he appears in court, he brings his bathrobe. He doesn't dress up or anything. And, and, and when they ask him questions, he just keeps talking about how this is such a nice wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so which is really fucking hilarious um he's he commits on six, he fucking yeah. commits you know it's amazing he's like he's like a guy on uh like on stage you just gotta fucking own it own your yeah. character commit <laughs> or what's that what's that sketch group with the fucking uh with all the italian guys uh impractical jokers TV? yeah it's like impractical jo they just won't leave the bit he's like i'm just gonna keep going as far as i can so uh, mid '90s, he gets indicted, indicted with 69 different RICO charges. Um, lawyer goes, sends him to another psychiatrist, but this shit's falling apart now because now they've got real like footage of him seeming normal. Um, he, he's able to kind of avoid prosecution to 1997. He generally lays low because he's just trying to fight his court cases. Um, he's now charged with conspiracy to, uh, for murder on all the different bosses. The shit's starting to come on him. He does everything to fight the case. Um, he even tries to find the jurors to bribe them or try and kill them. And it's uh, amazing that he is still free at this point because all these guys were dead or in jail. Like by this time, I mean, Gotti's already in jail at this point, right? Or he's God very dead. Then we never find. No, no, God. no. He he is dead. He died in jail. Yeah. But I mean, by this point in the story, Gotti's probably in jail now, and also, he's a, another generation. You know, like all those guys were in jail or gone like twenty, thirty years before this guy. So he it worked. Whatever the fuck he was doing. Well, he also I forgot to mention this one is um, one of the guys we talked last time about was Fat Tony, and Fat Tony was the fake head of the family. So Vincent would seem like a crazy guy in the corner in a wheelchair. And Fat Tony would be running everything. So, 1997, we're coming to the end here. The Chin is convicted of conspiracy to kill other mobsters in a sense of 12 years in prison, five and $1.25 million. And also, like, he's gotten arrested so many times. Isn't there, like, a three-fucking-strike rule? This guy's had, like, 50 strikes. I don't know. You definitely want to be this guy's lawyer, though. That's a lot of that's hours. A, that's a retainer that's not a lot of billable hours. The last thing we got written here, January 23rd, 2002, the government can't they're kind of having a hard time putting the shit on him. They can't really prove that he's uh, 
faking being crazy, but they start finding some stuff, and then they go, they start putting uh, charges against his family for obstruction of justice because they played along with his crazy act, and they 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 put charges against his son Andrew for twelve years for uh, aiding and abetting. And the chin admitted in 2003 that it was all fake and it had all been an act to fool, and fool, to fool law enforcement. And three years later, he died, 2005, in the same prison that Fat Tony was in Springfield, Missouri. Huh. I wonder why he admitted it. Because he didn't just... want his kid to do the conspiracy, the oh, this, uh, that obstruction. Got his... Yeah, he would, uh... they, they started, the feds now started going, fine, you don't give a fuck about you. We're going to start going around your whole family, uh, okay. like immediate family. And then he was like, all right, all right, stop fucking with these people. It's all my fault. But I'll I almost everything. feel like even if that wasn't the case, he would have admitted it at the end anyway. Because, like, why would you not? You know what I mean? If you fucking got him and you were going to be in jail yeah. anyway, like, I want you to know I'm not crazy. I fucking fooled you guys for 35 years or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Would I want to be known as the guy who fooled you or the guy who was pooping on the street talking right, to right, traffic, right, right. traffic cones and shit? So I got an uncle who plays music on the streets of Asia. That's his, like, his in fucking... Asia? Yeah, he like gets these crazy passports where he like travels around just like for three months from one country to the other. And uh, for a while there, he said his act was he would surround himself with stuffed animals and sing to the stuffed animals and basically met, pretend to be crazy. And he said he would get way more money when he when he did that. And he showed me like the crazy like walk he would do. He had like this like weird little shuffle. So he would just basically pretend to be a lunatic to get people to give him more money. While That's doing fucking it. tight. Is he crazy? It's also horrible. No, I mean he's weird. Yeah. Like I said, he's a weird guy, but he's not crazy like that. But it's like, I was like, That's really a horrible thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Preying on people's sympathy yeah. is not really yeah, the best thing you could do. For you. All right, Mo, that was the show. Thanks for being on it. Took a little Dude, longer, I think, than you were willing to do. Appreciate yeah. it. Uh, what, uh, what's your podcast and everything? So, so I can people could check, check out my podcast, followers. Jews Control the Media. Okay. It's, uh, it's a podcast where we kind of like roast uh, anti-Semites and uh, talk to other famous Jews, and uh, it's fun. We've had on like Mark Norman, uh, Aaron Berg. Um, we had uh, Mike Young on. We had this rapper named Necro, so it's cool. Check it out. Yeah, I would suggest anyone check out this podcast. Mo's one of my favorite stand-ups. If he's going by you, check him out. One of my thanks, favorite buddy. guys. Mo, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it, man. Hopefully your wife didn't come home yet. Not yet. You can, good. All right, we worked it out. Thanks, yeah. buddy. I really appreciate it. Hope to see you soon. You got it, buddy. All right, man. I'll, uh, that was fun, dude. No, no, it was great. I'll, uh, I'll email you these two files. All right, man. Peace.